it is a blessing to be here. Um, it's been a while since I've been up here, so it's, it's good to be back. And like Brady said, we've been friends a long time. Before either one of us were pastors, we were preaching on the street. I think we met crossing the street at a Thunder game, um, talking on the phone, and it, it and it was amazing that we, we came up here to learn how to, to preach on the street. We had done evangelism, one-on-one stuff, but we had never stood on a box and preached, and so we met Brady, and it's been a, the friendship has been a real blessing ever since then. So it's a it's an honor to be here and share with you. And he said like like he said I'm going to be in Corinthians but I'm going to start out in 1 Samuel. So he preached about half my sermon. So I'll preach the other half. No, he's right. He's right on um, the comforts, the God of comforts, he is the same throughout the entire scripture. And so I'm going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 30 to start out here. Let me pray before we get started. Father, I do thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word to your people. God, I thank you for this group of people and the the saints that you've gathered here together and the purpose that you have for them. I pray, Lord, that this would be encouraging for them, that this would point them to your grace and your comfort and your mercy, and that it would give them, it would embolden them to go forth and share the gospel with others and to, to be a light to, to the world and to be a comfort to other Christians, Lord, uh, that uh, we, would, we would help one another as you will it, God, and, and that you would give us strength to carry forth your name in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading out of New King James, so it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked, uh, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives... Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, the, the, uh, the sorry, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm going to kind of give a recap of what's going on. So here's the current situation. David is running from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him at this time. Saul is the current king. David has been declared to be the next king, but Saul wants him dead. Um, And so David is on the run with about 600 people or 600 men. And he had just left. He had went to the Philistine army to try to join them. 
Because basically he was a man without a country at that time. He couldn't be with Israel, with Saul, because Saul was trying to kill him. He only had 600 men. It wasn't enough to fight against Saul. So he went and tried to join the Philistine army, but they rejected his offer. And so he's returning back to Ziklag where he had left the women and the kids. They left all, so 600 men, all of their wives, all of their children was left there. And as they returned to the city, it is completely and utterly destroyed. It's, you want to get this picture. They're tired. They're defeated. They're, what he thought was their only hope was to join the... I mean, obviously, David had to be desperate for him to try to go join the Philistine army. That didn't work. And he's returning back to this city. And can you just picture 600 men on horses, some of them on foot, heading back towards the city, and you see the smoke in the distance? Oh, no. What is wrong? Kick it into high gear, right into town. And as you get closer, you see that everything is completely destroyed. Where does your mind go at that point? I know where mine would go. They're all dead. They've killed them all. There is nothing left. And they come into the city. And their wives and their children are gone. Taken by the Amalekites. They don't know that. They just know they're not there. Um, and just, just so you know from previous chapters David had raided several Amalekite villages and cities and killed everyone that were in those villages so you know where his mind is going this is revenge they're coming back you can imagine what he's thinking then to make matters worse his own men start to turn on him they wanted to kill him And it says right there, it says that they, they wept until they had no more power to weep. That, that, is, that is severe anguish, total despair, falling down, crying until there's no more tears left. And there's, we have saints that have experienced this kind of anguish. But he, and now... After all this, they've wept until there's no more power to weep. His own men start turning on him. They wanted to kill him. The whole outfit was unraveling. Total despair. But look at the end there of, chapter, of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And the rest of the chapter is about God restoring what was lost. He was restoring all that was lost. And this, I believe, brings up a question that we should all ask ourselves if we're Christians. And that is, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? How does David strengthen himself in the Lord his God? And the simple answer to that is he turns to the Lord. See, David found himself in a place where there was nobody else there to help him. There was no one left to offer, com offer comfort except God, and that was enough. Psalm 44 says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
So David, at this point, when he hit total despair, he didn't turn to his fellow men. He didn't turn to the 600 men and say, we have enough, we can conquer all. He didn't turn to himself and say, I'm the one that killed Goliath. I'm the one that killed the lion and the bear, and I'll kill these Amalekites. No, he didn't do that. David turned to God. Now turn back to 1 Samuel 17. In verse 34. And this is when David was about to fight Goliath. In verse 34 it said, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And look at verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David strengthened himself in the Lord simply by turning to the Lord. And so when I look at this message, and the reason that I feel like God has put this message on my heart is because I know there's many saints who are in need of comfort. There's a time in every soldier's life, there's a time in every war, there's a time in every battle where you come to a place spiritually where you feel like David. And if you're fighting a spiritual battle right now, you've probably felt that. When you look at our current culture, you look at the state of our nation, the state of our world, it it looks kind of bleak. It looks kind of like we're riding back up on Ziklag and seeing smoke, right? Especially with our country. But it, and it may be a lot of things that people are going with, going through. Um, but there's there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that may be causing fear and anxiety. And so now turn to Second Corinthians, chapter one. Second Corinthians, chapter one. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. Look at how Paul, Paul is an amazing writer. Paul is an amazing man of God. Of course, that's all empowered by the Holy Spirit who he was dependent on completely. But look at how he starts this section. Blessed be God. And I want to remind you, Paul was no stranger to trouble himself. Paul understood what David went through when he came up to Ziklag because Paul faced many, many trials in his life. But look at how he starts the section. Blessed be God. The word blessed, it means blessed. It means well spoken of. Praised, hallowed, admired, loved, glorified. 
I think we would all do well to think about how blessed God is. How amazing God is. How glorified is His name. And when we think on those things, it automatically starts to take away anxiety. It automatically starts to take away fear when we just consider His greatness. We want to exalt God as Christians. We are commanded, but not only are we commanded, we desire it. It is put within us as we've been born again to exalt God in our hearts and emotions. John Piper said this about this section of Scripture. He said, this entire section of encouragement is folded into worship. Don't you think that's what David did at Ziklag? Isn't that what David was all about? When you read the Psalms, David was all about worship. He understood his faults. He understood his shortcomings. But he understood the God of Scripture. The God of Jacob. The God of Abraham who he could turn to. Now he made some mistakes. And he fell on his face at times. Right? And so have I. And so have you. But let's consider this. Let's consider if you're in a place where you're afraid, if you're in a place where you're feeling troubled or under attack by the enemy, you ever just get to one of those places where just nothing, you never feel, everything feels uneasy and you can't really even say why. Just something doesn't feel right. I just can't relax. I can't rest. There's something turning in my mind and maybe it's the troubles of the world. Maybe it's an attack from Satan. Maybe it's an attack from the demons. Maybe it's an attack from the old you, the part that's dead. But the reality is there's, some, there's one that we can turn to. And, and what, So what should we do at that time? Do what David did and take to praising God. Go to the Psalms and read how he did it. And just take yourself and pray. bless His name. Magnify His name. Think on his, his glory. Luther said this. He said, Come let us sing a song and startle the devil. Don't you know, you remember when Paul and Silas was in prison and they got thrown into the inner prison? Looking pretty bleak. Right? Looking pretty bad. Wait, wait a minute, God, you called me to this. What are we doing? They throw him into the inner prison What'd they do? They started singing hymns. Started singing psalms. What is Satan going to do with that? What are the Roman jailers going to do with that? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to sing. They can't break you. Spurgeon said in contrast, he said, if you sit down and groan and complain against God, your groans will be music to Satan's malevolent heart. We need to think about that. I need to think about that. I am guilty of complaining too much. We as Christians are guilty of complaining too much when we've been given the, everything. We've been given eternal life. We're heirs with Christ and we somehow find a reason to complain. It's actually it's crazy, but we do. And look at what he says next. 
So he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Father, the Creator of mercies. Through Him all mercies flow. Not some mercies, not most mercies, all mercies flow through God. The God of all comfort. If you find comfort, Brady mentioned this, if you find comfort in something other than God, I promise it is fleeting. Whatever it is will not last. I remember a brother up in Montana, a good friend that would come down there once in a while and he, he was out on the street sharing the gospel and um, tried to strike up a conversation with the guy and the guy said, no, no, I'm good. He goes, I got everything I need. I'm happy. And he said, as he was walking away, it's like God just told him it won't last. And he said it out loud. It won't last. You're happy right now. It won't last. What does that happiness depend on? Is it wealth? Any wealthy person, any unwealthy person can tell you wealth can be taken away in an instant. You have your money right now stockpiled and that's what you're basing your happiness on. That's what you're basing your, your future on. It's fleeting. Who knows if the U.S. dollar will even be worth anything in 10 years. We have no idea. The economy is unstable. It won't last. Your health? I don't care what they say on TV. Your health is fleeting. We're still in this cursed body and your body is failing. I'm 40, how old am I? 44. I can't even remember how old I am. That's how much my memory is fleeting. But I can, I can understand this a lot better now than I could when I was 22. When I was 22, I thought I was, you know, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And now I can throw my back out brushing my teeth. You laugh because you've done it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fleeting. You can do everything in the world to keep yourself in the best shape. You can eat the best food. And sooner or later, we're all growing old. Entertainment? Is that what makes you happy? Is that what you base your happiness on? Your family? Ask Job about how that worked out for him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What about your job? Maybe your job's what's making you happy. Maybe it's a pet. Whatever it is, whatever, if anything other than Christ is fleeting. It's a temporary satisfaction. Those are not bad things, by the way. All of those are good things. Sure, we want to have happiness with our family. Sure, we want to enjoy our job. But if that is what your comfort is based in, it is fleeting. But the God of all comfort will stand. You can lose every single one of those things and you can still be fully in peace standing in the glories of Christ. Look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. With the comfort with, with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And like I said, this is written by Paul, who's very, very acquainted with tribulation. He's not writing this from some high 
office in the sky or up in on a 10th floor somewhere or 20th floor in some nice office building t- telling you about tribulation. No, he's writing this under tribulation. This, is, this was one that rarely knew if he would be dead the next day. I mean, think about Paul's life. They were after him constantly. His enemies were many and they were cruel. And he needed comfort. And he received it. He received it so much in abundance that he was able to share that comfort with others. What do we learn from this verse? We learn that our tribulation, our suffering, our experience in this life has the purpose of comforting those who will come after us in Christ. And that's comforting. The very fact that you're going through whatever hard time it is that you're going through is not in vain. God has a purpose for it. Whatever whatever struggles you've had, whatever sickness you've endured, whatever sin you've overcome, whatever temptations has been put in your life, whatever thing has been taken away from you, it's for a purpose because there will be another Christian come along after you and you're going to be able, all of a sudden you'll go, wow, I've been through this. God saw me through this. And it's very, very possible that He's using one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to help you through it. And then in a few years or a few weeks or a few months or whatever it is, you're going to be the one helping somebody else through it. That's how God operates. He hasn't pulled us from this fallen world. No matter how much I wish that He would have. And no matter how much I yearn to see the curse ended, which we all groan, the entire creation groans for that. But He has chosen to leave us here amongst the heathen and work within His people in such a way that the body works together. So that why? So that we can draw closer together, which will draw us closer to Him and give Him glory. Your hardships, your tribulations, your persecutions, they are not in vain. There are three truths about whatever trial you're going through or will go through. Look at these. The first one is the God of all comfort and mercy is with you in this time of need and will provide for you. He is with you. And you may not feel it. There may be times when you're praying and it doesn't feel like your prayers are going any higher than the top of your head. But He is there. I promise. The Scripture has made it clear. He has made it clear. He is with you in this time. The second truth is someone else has experienced something similar. Another Christian brother or sister has been through this fire. And many times this is how God will comfort His people and the third, time, the third thing is that there will be a time when you're called upon to help someone else go through the same storm or a similar storm. Take comfort in that, dear Christian. It is quite possible that your experience in this trial and your ability to comfort others will one day, will one day lead others to Christ. And so then you ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I can see somebody saved. I know this. 
If you're used in that way and somebody is saved because of the trial that you've been through, there will be angels. All of the angels will be rejoicing in heaven over that. Over that saved soul. Over that person that would have went to hell had it not been for your trial. Is there comfort in that? Absolutely. Take comfort in the fact that the God of all mercy, the God of all comfort is working in you and through you in all of these things. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now the sufferings of Christ here that is talking about is not the sufferings he bore while on the cross. That's not what that's not what it's saying. But it's actually talking about the sufferings of Christ through his people. Look over at Acts chapter 9. Just to make this point, I want to I want to show you it's important to understand. Acts 9 I'm going to read verse 3 through 5. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. This is Saul on the road to Damascus. And on verse, in verse 4 it says, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. He says, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul, Jesus wasn't there physically. Jesus had been persecuted years before, right on the cross by the Romans, by the Jews, took the scourging. That was physical persecution of Jesus. So who was Paul persecuting or Saul? Who was he he actually attacking? It was the Christians. It was Jesus, it was His people. It was His church. It was His bride. And see, so when you're suffering, you're not alone in that. If persecution comes and they're persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. It's a pretty good side to be on. When He had enough of Saul doing it, He knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and turned him on his side. Turned him, turned him right? Converted him. And that's what he's talking about in verse 5. He says, you, why do you persecute me? And so when you go back, back into Corinthians then in verse 5, when he says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, he's talking about the sufferings of the church. Christ, we are his bride. The church is the bride of Christ. You attack the church, you attack Christ. Which is a dangerous situation for many people to be in right now. Because there's a lot of people doing that. But as these sufferings abound, so does the comfort. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our our consolation also abounds in Christ. In other words, the more hardships that come on a Christian, the more comfort that God will give him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that what he said? My grace is sufficient for thee. Such a short verse. Easy to memorize that one. And it's so true. Whatever comes your way, His grace, He will give an abundance of grace. He will give more than you need to overcome those situations. Look at verse 6. 
Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Again, we see the purpose in our afflictions. Like in verse 4, we see the afflictions of Christians will be used for the benefit of other Christians. Paul says, my affliction is for your consolation. And he even says, for your salvation. And this goes for you as well, Christian. Whatever affliction you bear is for the consolation of other believers. Whatever affliction, affliction you bear can be used of God to bring unbelievers to Christ. To bring them to salvation. The way you react to trials shakes up the unbeliever. The way you react in a funeral is what they want to act like. We can go to a funeral of somebody who was saved and we can praise God that they are now no longer suffering. They're no longer fighting this curse. They are no longer groaning for the return of Christ. They are in His presence and in His glory. But have you ever been to a funeral of an unbeliever? And they try to mimic that. They try so hard to say he's in a better place. She's in a better place. Everything's good. But you know they don't believe it. Because it's not true. It's fleeting. Whatever they were putting their hope in was fleeting. But we have full comfort. And how we react to that shakes up the world. It will cause an unbeliever to go, how? It will cause an unbeliever to ask you of the hope that lies within you. How you deal with trials. How you deal with hard people. That's convicting, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I have failed in that area many times over. But I want to strive to put my faith, to put my full trust in the God of all comfort. And if I do that, dealing with difficult people becomes much easier. Dealing with difficult situations becomes much easier. God can use your affliction to bring others to Christ. And we see the purpose of God's comfort is the same thing. And here's the reality. When, not if, but when God comforts you in your affliction, that comfort will be used for consolation and salvation of God's people. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.28 you're probably familiar with it, tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God. And turn back to 2 Corinthians. I want to look at chapter 4. In verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, 
yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that we're going through. And and he doesn't give any leeway here to, oh, well, if it was that bad, it's not. Think about what Paul has went through here. He's lost friends. He's lost family. He's given up his entire world. He was in the deep. All night long, he was beat several times, starving, real trials. And he said, these are light afflictions. They may not seem like it, and they certainly don't feel like it at the time, but the Word of God tells us that they are. That's why we base our truth on Scripture, not on our feelings. I know they're hard. I know they feel hard. I know that they're terrible at the time. But what Paul says, what the Holy Spirit is telling us today through his scripture is those are light afflictions. Those are temporary sufferings and they are serving a purpose. And the God and Father of all comfort and mercy is working through these times for the good of our brothers and sisters. And he's building in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It is so temporary. I wish we could understand eternity. I wish we could get our minds wrapped around just how long that is. It's not even long. It's never ending. We can't get it. We can't grasp it. But we can grasp time. And we can grasp, we can understand that even if you look at your life compared to the entire history of the world, it is such a vapor. Right? That's what Paul said. My life is but a vapor. It's just a whisk. And it's over. And whatever this suffering is, is going to be extremely short. It's going to be very small compared to that eternal glory that you're going to spend with Christ. And that is comforting. That is comforting. The reason any of you... I mean, think about this. The reason... You have even heard today is the reason it's possible is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And like, and like uh, Brady said, the, the, this is not a comforting message to the unbeliever. The unbeliever has no comfort. The unbeliever has no hope. Unless if, but if they're still alive, there is a hope. There's a hope that they can see this. There's a hope that they can see God working in His people and be convicted. The Holy Spirit comes on them and they can hear the message of the Gospel and be converted and be saved. But just sitting there, there is no promise. But think about the the reason that any of this is true is the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. Isaiah said, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And that's where our comfort comes from. 
It comes from the work of Christ. It comes from His obedience, His sacrifice, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and ultimately His return. He is coming back. And you know, we're facing a time when there's all kinds of turmoil and there's all kinds of questions flowing about the other side of the world. Israel, is this the end? Is this the beginning of the end? What's going to happen? There's complete instability in our economy. There's complete instability in our government. None of that means anything to a Christian as far as a reason to be scared. Does that mean we don't pay attention? No, that's not what I'm saying. Pay attention to what's going on. We act accordingly, but ultimately there is no reason to be fearful. If the United States government collapses, it doesn't change who our king is. Our king is on the throne. No matter what happens over there in Israel, we may have our prophecies all misunderstood. We don't know. But whatever happens, this much is clear. Jesus is sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father and His people will be gathered together in His name and He will take care of them. It's a guarantee. And if you are in Christ, then you have that promise. But if your faith is in anything other than Jesus Christ, then your faith is in vain and you have no hope and you have no comfort. And so... But if your faith is in Jesus, you have full comfort that the afflictions of this world will pale in comparison to the blessings of eternal life. And so I leave you with this. If you are born again in Christ, take comfort. Take joy. Whatever it is that you're going through, and I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I know that probably every one of you is going through something. Whatever it is that you're going through, you have Christ. You can approach the throne of grace with boldness. That song that we sang, And He Walks With Me. I mean, that is an amazing... We do not understand just how glorious it is to walk with the Creator. To walk with the King. If we understood kingship more, I mean... You go into the kingdoms of the world. You didn't have access to the king. You didn't have access to the king's advisors. We would all be pretty much paupers and we would not even have access to the king's servants. But here we are. We can walk into the throne room and we can talk. We can walk with the king. He can tell you that he, you are His own. And that is a faith that should give you comfort no matter what is going on. And that is a faith that the Bible guarantees for His people. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that we, we get this pleasure that no matter what comes our way, that no matter what this world, what happens, that You have granted us eternal life. And that we know it's a temporary situation and this world is not our home, but we are going home. And I pray, Lord, that we would keep that attitude, that we would have that attitude, that it would just resonate from us, that others, that the lost and dying world could see the hope that is within us. And God, I pray that for your people here who have heard this message, God, I pray, Lord, that you would grant that comfort by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
that you would give them rest in Christ if they're struggling, if they're dealing with anything, if there's anxiety in their heart, if there's anguish in their heart, if there's sadness, God, that you would give them comfort beyond recognition, that you would give them comfort that can only come supernaturally from Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that for your people everywhere, that we would dive into your word and that we would seek after you and that we would seek the glory of your name We'd seek the glory of your Son, Jesus, and in His name I pray. Amen.